Coming to you from North Central Ohio, we share with you the voice of the Nazarene, a week-by-week venture into the Word of God sponsored by the Bucyrus, Ohio Church of the Nazarene. We join our pastor, Reverend Ray LaSalle, and the voice of the Nazarene. Good morning. They tell me that the definition of a pessimist is an optimist with experience. And by way of intro, I'm not trying to turn anybody off. If you're in disagreement, that's fine. But honestly, as I look across America, I'm quite taken back, a bit appalled, and uh, sometimes in my heart I wonder if we've gone so far that there may be no point of return. I never thought the day would come when I would see the defunding of our police officers and made out to be total, totally powerless. Back to the matter, if you don't know this, out on our parking lot just a few weeks ago, car pulled in and they unloaded everything, needles, meat, clothing. And when the police were called, they said that they were sovereign citizens and that the police couldn't do anything, they finally left. That was the sheriff's department. Then, of course, the police came, and they started it again, sovereign citizens. We've reached a strange, strange time when we can call out little political cliches and that nobody can come against our crookedness and our perversion. When I hear the threat of taking away the guns to protect we who are Americans, and probably one of the most feared in one of the most respected organizations that protected America behind the scenes has become so corrupt that they break into homes and do seizures. I never thought I'd see that. I know one of our uh, Christian gentlemen by the name of Mike Lindell had uh, spent some millions of dollars and had proved the fact that we had a fraudulent election. And if you think I'm Democrat or Republican, I, I could care less for either party anymore. I'm not for the dim wits or the repos, but I am for statesmen, and I'm tired of politicians and politics and big promises and selling us down the river while they're at it. But if we can't even protect ourselves, it's going to be a sad day. He was trying to go through a drive-thru, and, and the uh, Secret Service pulled him over and stopped him and did a search and seizure and and took his cell phone and everything they could to silence anyone questioning anything. If there's total freedom like they say, then why do we still have a barricade around uh, our Capitol building? Something is amiss. When I think of the multiplied millions of babies that have been slaughtered at the name of convenience, And I wonder, is there any way back? Is there any forgiveness for a nation that has gone so far? We spent ourselves broke. We're into the trillions of dollars of indebtedness. We have sent our companies overseas until now. We, We don't have enough stuff to run our cars or make a lot of other things even work. And printing off dollars and mailing them out to people, nothing but printed money, and the inflation literally is through the roof. 
To my knowledge, there's never been another country quite like America that has so opened her borders to uh, people to come in, whether legal or illegal, many of them very hostile to the uh, nature of America. The Muslim community that's coming in literally by the thousands are claiming in 23 years there'll be a total takeover of America by the Muslims themselves. We're in crazy days. And just about the time I think there's no way back, I read here in 1 Kings about a man by the name of Elijah and uh, the wickedness, the corruption that was going on and how a one-man army turned a nation around and brought them to their knees in repentance. And it gives me a little glimmer of hope. 1 Kings 16, says, Ahab did more to provoke the, the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Solomon before him had broke the law of God in marrying heathen women by the hundreds and brought them in with all of their false doctrine and false concepts and, and uh, false religion. And false gods had spread throughout all of the countryside. And then 1 Kings 17. Suddenly a man steps into the horizon. Nobody seemed to know who he was. His name was Elijah. They said he was a Tishbite. They can't even find the town from which he came. It's no longer on any maps. And he stood before the king and pronounced judgment. Very unique man. Fact of the matter, I, I've been looking at Elijah this week, especially this weekend, and how that probably more emphasis in the Bible on Elijah than nearly any other biblical character other than maybe two. He's listed at least 28 to 30 times in the New Testament alone. So many lessons are taught by, by this man's life. He teaches us a little bit about the fact you can have revival, even with a one-man effort. He teaches us that we can have results in prayer because he prayed, things happen. He shows us the need for relationships. When you're down, you're discouraged, you're lonely, that you need someone else in your life to encourage you like Elisha was in his life. Teaches us a little bit about what I call the rapture, for he never died. He went through a hole in the sky and not a hole in the ground. Read it for yourself. He's one of the few that ever returned. He returned back to earth, and a reminder of one day the saints will return like a mighty army. Quite a story, the background. I just want to mention several things about him this morning and then move toward, toward the theme of prayer. There's some things. First of all, he had tremendous insight. There were many prophets in his day. Hundreds had been executed. Obadiah had hid 50 in a cave and 50 others in another cave and had fed them with bread and water. Every prophet had kind of disappeared, but, but Elijah. And he had insight, and he was able to see what others didn't see. He saw the wickedness. He saw the need for change. And he realized the utter lack of leadership in his nation. When he looked at Ahab, he saw that he was nothing more than a puppet leader. And he was 
handled like with strings of a puppet by an insidious woman on his cabinet named Jezebel, whom he had married. She called the shots. If he was pouting, she knew how to bring him out of his little pout, and she could push his buttons, and she knew all the right things to do. Elijah saw through it all. He had the insight to realize that they were a nation of weather worshipers. Baal teaching had its beginning origins in the teachings of Nimrod. Nimrod had been the uh, perverted founder of what was called the Tower of Babel. They were building this tower, some man-made, orchestrated, organized effort of man to raise himself into the heavens, co-equal somewhere up there with God. God, if you study the Old Testament, if you could see it through the Jewish eyes, God only told him to build with stone, never told him to build with brick. Brick was a man-made thing. And they built this tower with brick. I'll tell you anything that's man-made, it won't stand very, very long. At the very top of the tower, they had put an observatory, and there, their astronomers studied the stars. They were stargazers, and they, they forecasted the weather, and, and they were into witchcraft and, and crazy kind of stuff. They weren't worshipers of God. From that came Baal, and from that came the uh, doctrine of Ashtaroth, and Jezebel was a follower of Baal, her male god, and she had the female deity Ashtaroth, and they were the weather gods. They, they, they believed that Baal could produce fire with lightning, that he, he sent rain and he sent sunshine. And so when this prophet showed up by the name of Elijah, he kind of called their hand on that. Back to the matter, he said in 1 Kings 17, 1, to the king, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, therefore shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So he said, go ahead and forecast your weather. Fact of the matter, it's not going to rain anymore till I say so. And uh, go ahead and talk to your gods about rain. Three years past, no rain. Three years and six months. He had insight. He also saw what the sacrificing of children was doing. They would sacrifice children and throw them in the fire and murder their own offspring as an offering unto to Baal. It's scary, isn't it? When I think about more than 60 million innocent babies that have been aborted in our own civilized nation of America by by doctors, because somebody said they're a mistake. We shouldn't have had them. Well, the kid didn't make the mistake. It was adults that made the mistake. Keep your dress down, your bridges up, it won't happen. Kind of a simple little philosophy, but that hadn't been taught at the college level. So the tremendous insight that Elijah had. He also saw through the teaching of Jezebel trying to destroy true religion. She had executed hundreds of the prophets. She had raised up 850 false prophets, had them eating around her table. She had had a headquarters for Baal worship built in Samaria and had a temple built. Elijah had the insight to know what was happening. I think sometimes we set to one side and we 
We don't understand our times, and we need to. He knew idolatry, idolatry was bringing judgment, and he understood God was going to withhold rain from the heavens on earth. Something else about him, Elijah had, he had his imperfections. Now, in the early days of my boyhood, was, I was growing up around the church. Maybe I'm wrong. I can't remember it, but I can't remember it. It seemed as though to me as a boy growing up, they preached so much perfection that if you got into church, you became perfect. So perfect that you could just kind of judge others and judge who ought to be in the church and who ought not to be. And you could judge the size of the lady's heel and the length of the hem and, and the hair and on and on it went. And everybody was sitting in seats of judgment. I didn't know where we missed it, but I want to tell you something. It didn't arrive all just because you've been to an altar in some holiness church. We're on a journey, and the church is full of people who are seeking God, trying to find what God wants, trying to have God work on our character and build us into the Christians that we need to be. We have not arrived. We're not the judge. God's the judge. And so when they want to say the church is full of hypocrites today, don't believe a word of it. That's not who we are. We're just trying to find how to live right and to live our lives for God. Most of our early fathers had imperfections. Moses, he told God, don't, don't ask me to say anything. I can't speak. Jeremiah called to preach, said, I'm too young. Jonah, go down to Nineveh, and he said, I don't want to go. He had a problem, didn't he? Eve, why'd you do it? She said, well, the devil made me. And when it came to Elijah, he was subject to like passions as we are. He was in skin. Elijah was in human flesh. He was just like we are emotionally and mentally and, and in every way. He dealt with depression. He dealt with loneliness. He dealt with being in obscurity and fear. He dealt with despair and suicidal thoughts, insecurity, the desperation, desperateness, weariness, hunger, the half-brother of Christ, his name was James, he writes about him and uses Elijah as his example and model of a man of prayer. But he stopped for a moment and said, but he was just like you guys. He dealt with his passions, his temptations, his struggles. He was human. So don't use that as an excuse for the devil will come along and tell you that you're a failure, that you've got all kinds of propensities and you've got weaknesses and God can't use you. He's a liar. God human uses humankind. He uses bitter women just like you and I who struggle, who deal with problems, who deal with relationships, and he wants to use us. So get your prayer pads out and let's go to the Lord in prayer. He was not only uh, had in imperfections, but he, he was a great influencer. Obadiah had hidden prophets in caves, and all the rest of them were, had disappeared, and only Elijah. Now, we're the third year into this drought. You need to understand something. The Bible doesn't say everything that happens. No country can go through a three-year drought without hundreds of thousands dying of starvation. Think about it. And when you have 
no food, you have all kinds of diseases. Diseases bring death and it brings sicknesses and, and all kinds of other things into the family life and people don't survive it hardly. These were desperate, desperate days. And Ahab saw Elijah, 1 Kings 18, 17, and said unto him, because he was mad, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Do you realize that for three years, Elijah had, had been on the run? He had hid down there at the, some cave, and he'd been down there at Cherith, and he'd been hid away in a widow's house, and they were seeking his life. He was at the top of the FBI's most wanted of that time. But now God said, it's time to show yourself. And when Ahab saw him, he said, you trouble Israel. And Elijah answered, I've not troubled Israel, but thou. Thy father's house, in that you have forsaken the commandment of the Lord. You're the troubler. Fact of the matter, I don't think our world understands that when you disobey God and sin becomes rapid and, and men goes into the darkness of wrong living, that the heavens are troubled and judgment's coming. So they were blaming the church and the church was trying to get the attention of God. Could I just say this? When our world's lost, it's time for the church to get so troubled that we get on our knees and trouble God till God troubles a lost world around us. Now it's in the hands of Elijah whether it rained or didn't rain. What an influence. Elijah was also an intercessor. That's really where I want to pick up the, the account. It's chapter 5, verse 16. The effectual, this James is writing, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. How much? How much can you believe God for? Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Now, up to this point, Elijah had witnessed the faithfulness of God. Everywhere he had turned, God was there. He saw the faithfulness of God down at that brook when God fed him. He saw the faithfulness of God in that barrel when it should have run out of meal, but it just kept repeating and furnishing more. He saw the faithfulness of God in the boy that died, and he prayed, and it was the first resurrection recorded in divine writ. He saw the faithfulness of God in that bull, that bull locker that they put on the altar and the fire burned him up. He saw the faithfulness of God over Baal when they had the contest. And so Elijah, in this contest between God, the gods of Baal, and the God of the Bible, God answered by fire, and the people said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord. It caused a revival to spread across the countryside. People begin to wake up and realize they'd been following the wrong gods and they needed to serve God. And it's time for rain. And listen to the prayer. He says in verse 18, and he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. Now go with me back to 1 Kings chapter 18 and you'll find it's not quite as simple as he prayed again and the Lord gave rain. There's a lot more to it than that. Here's the way it reads, verse 41, And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to 
to the servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. Well, he said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up and say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot, get thee down that the rain stopped thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. Now, interesting to me, I had never heard anybody say anything about it, so I looked it up. Mount Carmel was 1,724 feet into the air. About every step you're going down a foot and another foot and another till you've gone down 1,724 feet. Can you imagine climbing back up that mountain? I can't. Just walking wears me out, let alone climbing 1,724. And he said, I want you to go look. He said, there's nothing. Go seven more times till you see something. Now, the sea happened to be the Mediterranean Sea. And the Mediterranean Sea from Mount Carmel was located nine miles over here toward the east. Now, if the servant went out all the way to the sea to look for that rain, he went nine miles. So that meant if he did a round trip, he had traveled and walked 18 miles. I asked the, uh, since I didn't have a calculator to figure it out, I asked the computer, how long does it take to walk 18 miles? And they said if you did it nonstop, it would be six hours. Now, if he went eight times, 18 miles, that meant that he had walked 144 miles. It may be that when we say that Elijah prayed and he prayed again and go look again, it may have been more than just a one-day prayer. It may have been days that he's in prayer and sending off the servant to look and he returns. And if you've got to understand, it was a hot, arid countryside. It hadn't rained for three and a half years. Can you imagine how weary that servant must have been. Now, there are a lot of things that we around the church can't do. We, many of us, can't give multiplied millions of dollars to the kingdom of God. It's just beyond our budget. I mean, we, maybe not some of you, but uh, some of us don't have the talents and the giftings that others have. But as I said in my office, it dawned on me, there's one thing that every last one of us can do you know what that is? We can pray. There's no excuse for not praying because all of us can pray. Fact of the matter, young people ought to pray. You ought to pray. I ought to pray. Live stream watchers ought to pray. The television viewers ought to pray. I believe women ought to pray. The Bible said men ought always to pray. Maybe that's the last thing that we do and the least thing that we ever do is to pray. But God has called all of us to prayer. So James outlines how to pray and he uses the example here of Elijah. He said the effect, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. 
Righteous means you're right with God. Getting our house in order. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, O Lord, thou wilt not hear. So that means I've got to settle up with God. I've got to take care of broken relationships and, and uh, unkept promises. And I need to get my life in alignment. God, I want to be right with you. God hears the prayers of a righteous man. So one, James said you need to pray fervently. Now the word fervent means to be white hot. That's really hot. God isn't listening to cold, formal prayers. It's not a prayer at some kind of a convention. God is listening for prayers that are on fire for him. He said pray humbly. And so 1 Kings 18, 42 said that Elijah cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. I told the early morning crowd, I don't think I can get my face between my knees. That's a long ways from where my face is. But I can humble myself. If I have to, I can lay down on my face. I can get on my knees. Hard to get up, but I can get down. He humbled himself. I don't believe that God's listening for arrogant praying. I'm, I'm glad I'm not like that other guy that came in here that I, I'm righteous. The arrogance of that. God likes humility. And he said he prayed earnestly. That's some serious praying. I mentioned earlier today that when my boy had cancer, it got old dad serious. I mean, I never prayed like I prayed when Roger went through that year of chemo. And the doctor assuring us that he had never seen anybody ever survive that kind of cancer. And a new doctor came into our life, and, and I'm praying the whole time. I'd walk in prayer. I'd go drive, take a drive, and open the window of my car and scream to God to help us. Sometimes it takes some things in our life to get us really earnest, to pray earnestly. An unsaved daughter a marriage about to fall apart, a job loss, health gone, we get serious. And he prayed persistently. He said, go again and again and again and again, seven more times, persistently. I like this when he prayed expectantly. He named rain in his prayer, and he got rain. I was at the pastor's retreat up at the state park, and I met a, a preacher I'd never met before by the name of Joe Knight. He has recently left Michigan where he pastored, and he's down in the Delaware area. He has felt a burden for the Muslim world, so much so that he's tried to learn their language and their culture and how to reach them. He's traveled over to the Muslim and Hindu countries lately, time after time. He just had a book come off the press entitled, Questions Muslims Ask Christians. He interviewed a lot of them. They said, have you got any questions for we who are Christians? What would you ask? And they asked him, and he wrote them all down and then attempted to answer those questions. Muslims are reading the book. Hindus are reading the book. They're quite gripped with the depth of what he's written. 
One of them was a chapter on the Trinity. They do not believe in a Trinity. They argue the Trinity. He was on one of his recent trips and he and his team had gone in to see one of their leading generals who had read the book and had contacted him and said, your, your chapter on the Trinity has really baffled me. And he said, I'll never say anything against the Trinity again. He and his team had gone in and they'd met with this general, leading general of that particular country as they're about to leave. And of course, their lives at stake. I mean, the Royal Guard is there. As he's about to leave, the general said, you know, we haven't had rain in months and months and everything has turned brown and we'd do anything to see it become green again across the landscape. Joe said to him, we're, we're going to leave. Would you mind if I had a word of prayer before I leave? And the general looked at him for a little bit and finally said, well, I'll give you that courtesy. And in his prayer, he said, God, would you be gracious enough to allow these people to have rain? Their children are suffering. Their plants have died. And they need water. Would you send a rain? As he's going out the door, the general said again to him, I appreciate your book. I've read it and I'm thinking about it. Now I want you to know I appreciated the spirit of your prayer for rain. He said we got back to the motel that evening and he said about that time, he said there was a thunderclap and it began to rain. Soon it was a hard rain. It rained all night and continued to rain. And he said by the time we had left the country, the countryside was turning green again. What do you expect when you're praying? You got an unsaved spouse? You got some need in your life? Are you expecting God to hear? That's the kind of prayer James says that Elijah prayed, and we need to pray, expecting. I was reading Acts chapter 2 this week. The day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven. We need to hear from heaven. And uh, the Holy Ghost came on that group in that upstairs, borrowed upper room. And when they came out full of the Spirit, they began to make their way up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Within six months, over half of the city of Jerusalem had been converted and experienced revival. Peter stood up that first day and began to preach. And when he gave his altar call, 3,000 souls were swept into the kingdom. Pretty good service, I'd think. And here's how the scripture reads, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and Part of them to all men, as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness 
and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added unto the church daily such as should be saved. End of chapter. Next chapter, very first verse. And now Peter and John went up together into the temple of the hour of prayer, being in the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms, them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to enter into the temple, asked the alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. I believe when the world looks on at the church, they believe that we ought to have something that they don't have and that we can meet some of their needs by the power of God in our lives. We owe that to them. But I can't give to them unless I get from God myself. That's why I believe every day of our life we need to seek to be sure we're filled and full of the Spirit of God every day. Spirit-filled. And then read on. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. We need to give this generation a helping hand. This is not the same as it was 10 years ago in pastoring across America. Our generation now is in trouble. They're not on their feet. They need to be helped to their feet. They need something better than they have. They, they're addicted to this and that and broken, disillusioned. Last 40 years, Bible and God have been pushed out of the, most of the classrooms in the big city schools. They've grown up without any concept of God, believing they're just a product of evolution. And so they live the way they live, thinking they came from animals. Why wouldn't they live like animals? We need a rain from heaven on our nation. For the dryness, maybe the church needs a rain for her dryness. A poor, weary, lost, dry world. Elijah prayed, and guess what? He was just like us, and he prayed for rain. In the darkest hour in human history, and God heard, and God let it rain. In the prayer of my heart, I'm saying, God, would you do something for this ministry until our people will begin to become churchmen and pillars in the church. Not caterpillars that kind of crawl in on Sunday morning and crawl out. And I love all of you and I don't want any of you to leave. And don't get upset at me. But I think God's called us for such a time as this. And if we ever really got earnest and got sincere and serious, it's time to be people of prayer. It's time to let heaven give rain. And I want it to rain in my heart. And I want the reign of God to fall on you and this ministry. And let's get beyond denominationalism. And let's get beyond a lot of things and just say, God, 
give us a revival. Let a wind blow and let it blow our way. Let a rain fall and let it fall upon us until we're so drenched with the things of God. We'll go out and be the light this world needs to see. Thanks for being a part of the Voice of the Nazarene. Visit us every Sunday at 9 a.m. with BNC's Pastor Ray LaSalle. For more information regarding BNC, visit BusirisNazarene.org. 